Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Rally podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. So the NBA playoffs has started. Injuries, late hiring effect, experience, and suspension is basically what I feel has um, been the storylines of the playoffs so far. So let's talk about the playoffs and what I've seen and what I've observed or whatever. So the, so the Hawks versus the Pelicans. Well, the Hawks are going went into the playoffs having a new head coach in Coach Snyder after firing Nate McMullen, who had been their coach for the past couple of years. So this is the late hiring. How much of an effect of, of hiring Coach Snyder, former coach of the Utah Jazz, having an effect on the Hawks' playoff experience? Could it help them or could it hurt them? Is it a chemistry problem? What could his late addition in terms of being hired have effect on the outcome of the Hawks playoffs? Will they ultimately lose to the Celtics? Maybe just because the Celtics are better or because Coach Snyder was hired late in the season. You know, game three was, I think, the, the, the last game that they had in game three was kind of funny because it felt like this... They couldn't miss hitting threes. I think over the four, between 30 and 40 threes were hit in game three. I mean, in the first half, I think over 20 was hit already. But it was, just, it was a high offensive game. But it was just, man, I've never seen so many threes being so effective for both sides of the teams that it was crazy to see and experience. But I think the Celtics will improve because the Celtics defense overall is better than Atlanta. Atlanta has always been this high-scoring team that didn't have the same kind of defense on the other side in terms of helping them effectively. So I, I feel the Celtics could make adjustments and win game four after losing game three versus Atlanta in Atlanta. So Bucks versus the Heat. And this is the thing, thing I'm about to talk about is what I talked about in the previous episode where injuries is aiding, is aiding teams like the Heat. Greek got hurt. I think his injuries are back contusion, and he missed the last game, and he and he didn't play that much the previous game. But long story short, this is an advantage. Heat take the Greek freak out. Is the Bucks a great team? You know, uh, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are great, but the Greek feed is an MVP candidate every year within the last three years or more, and he's at a, and he plays at a different level. But he's not playing. So does this help the Heat potentially beat the beat the Bucks? Or will the Greek feet come back and change everything? I don't know how effective the Greek feet could be with this injury. I don't know how long with this kind of injury you're supposed to be um missing games, how much rest you should have, or how much uh you should uh take toll you should take when playing. But this is an advantage. In the end of the day, if the Heat win this series, the Heat can't say, can't be too satisfied. You didn't beat the Bucks with all its great players. You beat a team that was beat up. And the main guy that you need on the team to have, to basically pat your back and feel good about if you win this series, is if the Greek Freak plays. If the Greek Freak plays and the Heat play the way they've been playing and they win the series versus the number one seed, then you could pat yourself on the back and say, we played great and we played one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. But without the great Greek freak, you're not facing the number one team 
in the Eastern Conference. You're facing a team that could potentially be a playoff team, but not a number one seed team. That's just me, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Greek Freak comes back, or will he miss the rest of the series and advantage goes to the Heat with the experience of ex Spolstra and the other veterans on the Heat. Now, the 76ers sweeped the Nets. Now, I got to give props to Coach Ron. He did a great job in replacing the net in replacing uh, Steve Nash. You know, the Nets started to win more in his presence. And just when the Nets fans thought, man, now we have the t- we have Kyrie Irving and Durant and a better coach than Nash, and maybe we could do something different that we haven't experienced in the past four years. In February, they traded both Durant and Irving. And you got to give credit to Coach Ron because Coach Ron has kept them afloat. Yes, the winning percentage wasn't the same as it was when they had Irving and Durant on the floor. But the idea that they finished the season as a sixth seed is a great thing because no one saw them potentially being a sixth seed or better with the absence of Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. And give Bridges credit. Since he's had been been with the uh, Nets, he has performed much better than what a lot of people thought he would perform. And he looks like a potential star that you built around in the near future. But you got to give credit to the Sixers because the Sixers had chemistry. The Sixers had Coach Rivers. And that was too much, in my opinion, too much for the Nets. They, they didn't add anybody in the trade deadline. They have chemistry in, in, together. And Doc Rivers is an amazing coach. So I think that overall had its advantage over the Nets. But don't be shocked with some other th- pieces added next season that the Nets are back in the playoffs with Coach Ron being the head coach. Now, to me, the most interesting series in the Eastern Conference playoffs so far is the Cavs and the Cavs and Nets. Both teams are a young team that could potentially replace teams like the Sixers or even the Bucks. And the reason why I feel that is because both the Bucks and the Sixers have guys who are over 30 years old who will, who will not play at the same level that, they, they, that they're currently playing in the next five seasons. And that's one of the reasons why I pick uh, Cavs and the Knicks as one of those teams that can unseat them. They're young. They have great supporting cast. It's not just one player with a great role players. It's one great superstar like a, uh, like a uh, Mitchell. But Garland is a great point guard. Mobley is developing into a great uh, power forward. And Jarrett Allen is an all-star. Great team. But they're all under 27 years old. The same with the Knicks. Randall, Barrett, Grimes, Mitchell Robinson, Bronson. They have a whole bunch of plethora of young players that will only make them even better. But what makes this this game, this series so good, it kind of looks like more of an old school game in the sense, in the sense that playoffs are playing, I mean, that defense is paying more of a pivotal role than offense. Within the last few seasons, offense has been the, the focal point for the NBA where it seems like every team's uh, total off, I mean, total defense points allowed per game has just continuously gone up with all these teams uh, trying to attempt three-pointers and more and making offense more of a focus versus defense. So this series, if you're an old-timer who likes defense, you will like this series. Both teams are healthy. Both teams are... Are playing, are playing great. You know, one of the things I look at this series for the Knicks compared to last, compared to two seasons ago versus the Atlanta Hawks is, you know, when they faced the Hawks, 
It was just basically Randall and Barrett and whatever pivotal role the role players could play. But if Randall didn't play great and Barrett didn't play great, this team lost. And that's one of the things I felt why they lost versus the Hawks. I liked Jalen Bronson and what he has developed into because he's a third star. I like what he's developed into because he takes pressure off players like Randall and Barrett, where teams don't have to focus on just two players, but now they have to focus on three players that if you leave any of these guys open or play soft defense, they can expose you in some kind of way. You know, one of the things I look at with the Knicks is that guys like Bronson and Randall are all-star type players. If R.J. Barrett offense was more consistent then you have three guys who are either top 15 or top 10 in their position three potential all-stars and an overall great team many players or many analysts are trying to say that you cannot win an nba championship or make the playoffs without elite players i've seen elite players not make this make the playoffs this year ladies and gentlemen so that's not true i ultimately think that you could win a series or make the playoffs with at least two elite players or just great role players overall. But, you know, while Randall and Bronson and Barrett are not elite elite players, they're also players who you can't leave alone who can uh, could potentially t uh, take over a game and be great, great during the game if you ignore them. So I, I like the series overall. We'll see what happens. We'll see if the Knicks... Uh, could could win uh, today against the Cavs in, in New York, or will the Cavs tie up the series 2-2 going back into Cleveland? Let's see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. So the Western Conference. Now, Denver is just that good. I said it before the season, and I said it even last week's episode, with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. playing, this Denver Nuggets team is a much different team. Even though last year they were, they were better than a play-in team, there were also a team that didn't play, uh, uh, didn't have two great stars, two great players on its team, who could take some of the pressure over Jovac, whatever his name is. That's what I feel, and they're facing Denver, and they could potentially defeat Denver this uh, within the next couple of days. Uh, I mean, Denver could potentially defeat Minnesota in the next couple of days. They're facing a Minnesota team. That ended the season in controversy with Rudy Gobert and Anderson, Kyle Anderson, uh, fighting each other. You know, this is a team that that somewhat underperformed, but maybe it underperformed just for the sheer fact that Towns missed a lot of games this season. So that could potentially have hurt this team overall. But the question now is: Is Rudy Gobert and the chemistry with this team? potentially hurting because of that fight does one of these players potentially get traded due to the fight i don't know but i do definitely do know that the denver nuggets are the better team the lakers and grizzlies this is a funny series because this is prototypically what i've been saying the past two to three uh playoffs ladies and gentlemen where teams go into the playoffs and a lot of the teams that win a series are winning a series versus a team that's missing players or a superstar player, an elite player. And the Grizzlies are missing, like I said last week, Clark and Steve Adams. Jay Moran has gotten hurt. 
Dylan Brooks is is become a focal has become the Draymond Green of the Grizzlies, where his defense and his aggressive playing has taken a uh, focus more than his overall game overall. I don't know if that make um, this made any sense, but long story short, I feel the Lakers win. Because they're not facing a Grizzly team that was number two in the Western Conference with all its cards. And I feel that that gives the Lakers an advantage. No matter what you want to say about Clark and Adams, both guys are great rebounders. Great rebounders will give you a chance and opportunity to score. The idea that combine Clark and Adams together, you're taking away 17 rebounds they had combined per game away from the Grizzlies. No matter what you say about Xavier Tillman, whatever the, the center is at this moment, he's not Clark. He's not Adams. And the Lakers are not facing a team that has all its cards and all its players. So I feel that the Lakers will win this series versus the Grizzlies just because of that. And the Kings and Warriors is an interesting series because... Coach um, Brown of the Kings was an assistant coach for the Warriors last year. And he came in, he's taken the Kings and has helped the Kings exceed everybody's expectation. And what makes this series interesting is no one is hurt. You know, Green did get, Green did get suspended. But the overall thing that, that has got my focus on this whole series is... This series could go seven games just for the sheer fact that the Warriors this season are the, the, the weirdest, uh, one of the weirdest teams going into the playoffs because they have an elite record at home and have one of the worst records away. And this could potentially make the series go into uh, six games or even seven games. I may, I may even say as much as that the Warriors win every game at home and then lose every game versus Sacramento. When they're in Sacramento, in a way, when they're away. And it's so weird to think that a team that just won the NBA championship with all the players that they have potentially could have won five, maybe even 20 more games if they were just average, just average away rather than poor, rather than losing uh, being 10 and 21 in the season. No, 10 and 31. I'm sorry. 10 and 31 in the season. That's their away record. 10 and 31. 21 games under 500. So we'll see what happens there. Another series where injuries have played a pivotal role and give the other team an advantage. The Phoenix Suns versus the Clippers. Before the series started, the Clippers had had bad news that Paul George will miss the series. Now, I'll give it to you. When Kawhi Leonard was there, the Clippers looked like a much better team that could possibly hang in there versus the Suns. Now Paul, now Kawhi Leonard's hurt. And now the Suns are winning the series 3-1. But again, are the Suns winning the series because they are the better team than the Clippers? Or are they, are they winning the series because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are missing games? And as a fan of the NBA and as a fan of sports, can you really have satisfaction or trust in a team that's defeating another team who's missing good players? Just saying. 
So the NFL had an extension this past week. And the extension is Jalen Hurts, after having one incredible season with the Philadelphia Eagles, has been awarded one of the biggest contracts of any quarterback in the NFL. The Eagles have extended Jalen Hurts with a contract of $255 million for five years, which will pay him north of $50 million. Now, let's just think about it. The, the Eagles are not bad. But Jalen Hurts went into the season with a great running back in Miles Sanders. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are great, one of the greatest one-two punches in the NFL. And Devontae Smith is so young, he's only getting better. And adding A.J. Brown only helped Devontae Smith's development even, even more than having anybody else. Then add the fact that the tight end... Dallas Godert, probably said his name wrong, is one of the top five, top ten tight ends in the NFL. Okay, let's even extend it. The offensive line is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL at this moment. Whose numbers wouldn't have improved with those, with those players around them? Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. I mean, is he better than Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, or Kyle Murray? Think about that for a second. Is he better? Look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has managed to still be one of the top quarterbacks without having elite receivers. You give him A.G. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Godert on the Packers? You don't think that Aaron Rodgers will have at least 40 touchdowns this past season and over 5,000 yards passing and possibly would have led the Packers to the Super Bowl? I think so. It's crazy how track records, it doesn't play a part of extending players in the NFL. I'm a Giants fan. Do I think that Daniel Jones is owed $40 million per year? Heck no. He had one okay season. He didn't have an elite season, but he had one okay season. We haven't seen him throw over 30 touchdowns. We haven't also seen him with the same players as others. We don't know how he would play behind an elite offensive line or a great receiving core. That's why I would have given him an increase, but not to $40 million. The idea that he wanted to jump from around $9 million last season all the way to $40 million was crazy. But he didn't get a contract that paid him top two in the NFL. So this is just crazy how the NFL works, how they, how they do things, how guys don't need to have two or three seasons of great numbers and improvement to play a part of why you get a contract extension that makes you one of the top players. I just think it's crazy. That's how the NFL works. Maybe it's just me, but Mr. J Jalen Hurts does not deserve to be one of the highest quarterback, uh, one of the highest paid quarterbacks in NFL history. Just my opinion. So the NFL's draft is happening, uh, happening next week. Now, what makes the NFL draft so interesting is who will slip. That's always the thing that, that becomes funny. No one could predict which player who's been consistently put as a top 10 player that could get drafted in all these Mac drafts 
that ends up being in the late teens or in the 20s or even slips all the way to the second round. That's what makes the NFL, one of the things that makes the NFL draft interesting. The other thing is, who gets drafted much higher? Which player that, that's been looked at as more of a second round draft pick or, or later going to end up in the first round draft pick? Who gets traded? Because trades always happen during the trade. Who, who trades away their first round draft picks? Um, a couple of seasons ago, the Giants traded away their first round draft pick with Chicago because they missed out on Devontae Smith. And rather than, than draft Mikhail Persons, they went late in the draft, and I forgot who they drafted. I think it was Andrew Thomas. But lo and behold, we'll see what happens. It's one of the most interesting things that that happens. Now, one of the things that made that made that caught my eye basically this past week was Jordan Runyon of ESPN, who's one of those guys who you hear and. Uh, on NFL all the time, reporting uh, free agent signings and others, made an interesting comment where he said that the players who are going to be drafted on on Thursday are more complimentary players versus superstars. Or he, he kind of put in that manner, that they're more complimentary. This is a big statement. How do you go into the draft thinking that these players are comp- complimentary? How do you draft a guy who's only complimentary. You want a guy, you want to draft a guy, one, as a future Pro Bowl, All-Pro, elite guy, a future MVP. You don't want a guy who's just a good complimentary piece. However, looking at this statement, and it is a little crazy. Why? Because every draft is, 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 is crazy. Because every draft, you get guys who are predicted to be drafted in the first and second round, and guys drafted in the third round or later perform better than them. Even guys who get undrafted perform better than guys who are drafted in the first round or who's just picked in the draft period. Then you guys, guys like last year, Brock Purdy, who got drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in the seventh round. And he came in and he performed great. He performed better than Trey Lance. He performed so great that the 49ers are taking phone calls on potentially trading Trey Lance away because Brock Purdy performed so great as quarterback of the 49ers. There's an entire possibility that if Brock Purdy did not get hurt in the playoffs game versus the Eagles, that the 49ers could have been one of the team, could have been the team going into the Super Bowl versus the Eagles. That's what is amazing. And sometimes you, you, you can't really analyze a draft I think until like three years later, because sometimes within three years, a lot of guys tend to mature so much that they look much different than they did the rookie season. But it's an interesting take what, what Jordan Runyon says. We'll see if what he says is true. We'll see who, who outperforms first round draft picks. And we'll see if any veterans get traded. It's an interesting process. I love the um, I love the NFL draft probably more than any other draft in sports. I'm the, it's the only sport that I look at the mock drafts and say, and question mark, why did they say this guy? Why did they say that guy? And then you go to NFL Network, and NFL Network tells you what these guys did in the NFL Combine. Then they give you a little sc- uh, scouting a part of the, the 
the positive and the weaknesses. And then they also tell you like a guy who they compliment, you know, who, who they look like. Sometimes that's discouraging. You know, the, the, when you get it, when you compliment, um, when you say a player looks like a certain guy and that guy was never a Pro Bowl or a top 10 player in his position, you just kill fans like, oh man, I don't want this guy. Because you say he's like a Travis Benjamin. I forgot which wide receiver I looked. I was scouting like Zay Flowers or somebody else. But Travis Benjamin was not a great wide receiver. He was not he, he was not a great receiver. So when you tell a team a guy like me, whose team is looking at wide receivers in this upcoming year's um draft, I don't want a guy who looks like Travis Benjamin. You know? It's kind of discouraging. If that's the guy who, who who you compare him to, I would want my team to pass on him versus uh, versus drafting him. Let's go to the MLB. So the MLB season is still young, and it's still anything can happen. But one of the things that, that's still catching my eye because they're still winning is the Pirates. The Pirates right now are a half game out of first place. In the last National League Central. And this makes me happy because I've told you guys. In the past 30 years. The Pirates have only had five winning seasons. In the past 30 years. They're one of those teams that every analyst always predicts them to have a losing season. Isn't that crazy? That that's your, your track record. That your track record is that analysts look at you. Roll their eyes and say this is going to be another year. Where we see the Pirates potentially not be one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. And as of right now, if the season had ended, the Pirates would be a wildcard team in the playoffs over the Mets, over the Dodgers, and over other teams that were predicted to be better than them. And speaking of the Dodgers, the Dodgers don't look so dominant for once. Maybe it's due to injuries. Maybe it's due to the fact of all the new rules. This is the thing that that, that that's has, has me kind of curious and what ha- the reason why it has him curious is they're going to be teams that may look bad in the beginning of the season because of these new rules because it affects these guys but once they make the adjustments once they understand the rules better i want to see which teams just kind of lift off and look much different once they understand the rules and are more comfortable with it and one of the reasons why it, it, it's an adjustment factor because sometimes some hitters and some pitchers took their time when they were playing. And it gained their advantage in making them dominant players. Now with this clock, it takes away that factor. So now these kind of players have to adjust the game in a different way. They have to adjust it in a way where they don't, they don't know and now they have to play with things and have to see, how do I do this? How do I make this work to my advantage? Do I try to bleed the clock enough where it's where I get myself and others nervous? Or do I pitch the ball before uh, one second majority of the time? I mean, before five seconds or six seconds. You know, what do I do as a hitter? How do I get in the head? The ba- main reason why these guys were slow was that they were trying to get ahead of their opponent. Now they have to find ways, how do I get in the head of my opponent? And how do I gain advantage over this and not hurt my team with taking so long? That's what makes this season interesting in my eyes. Because you're, you're putting a new rule 
that none of these players are used to. So some teams could be better because some players are quick in making a decision how they want to approach uh, at bat or pitching. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see if the Pirates can prove me and every other analyst wrong that they are better than a, a team that could potentially lose 90 games or more. Just saying. So the WWE made a shocking match for Backlash that's going to be in Puerto Rico. Omas versus Seth Rollins. And this is, someone's pushing Omas. I know he's a big guy. But man, he, he, his promos suck. He looks slow. And he's not great. I mean, he's, he's like borderline. Oh my God. There was a, he's like a. Kind of like a, a larger Mark Henry, a guy who's just very big, but he can't do a lot of different moves and wasn't really great on the mic. Just saying. But Seth Rollins is great on the mic. Seth Rollins produces great matches. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this, ser- in, in this match. Will it all be heavily on the shoulders of Seth Rollins? Will this get Seth Rollins angry at WWE? I don't know, but it's just interesting that, that Seth Rollins is chosen to face Omas versus Seth Rollins potentially facing a guy like Gunther. Just saying. The idea that Raw superstars don't can't compete for the Intercontinental Champion because it's on SmackDown is crazy. I think if you hold a title... That it should be a wide open range of who can compete and who will produce the great match versus the champion. Just saying, Seth Rollins and Gunther, wouldn't you think that would have been a, would have been a better match versus Omas and Seth Rollins? Just saying. Now, Backlash will see a rematch between the Usos, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. Now, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens have never held on the title for a long time in the WWE. So I wouldn't be shocked that WWE did it once again to a guy like Kevin Owens and makes him lose a title after only less than a month or two months of having it. They did that to him when he won the title. I think he had it for less than six months and they gave it to Goldberg, who was not even a fighting champion, who was not even a full-time wrestler. We'll see what happens there. Now Goldberg, talking about Goldberg, Goldberg is upset. His contract recently uh, expired with the WWE, and he feels like he's old a retirement match. He even feels that he was promised, oh, not feels, he says that he was promised one, and he didn't get one with WWE. But there's a kind of rumors around there, not rumors, but questions. Would it make sense for Goldberg to go to AEW, being that they, being that they have two older wrestlers like a Jeff Jarrett and... Sting, would that be a great match or would it not be a great match? I don't know. But both guys in Sting and Goldberg want to retire soon and retire in their right way. Would AEW entertain that idea of Goldberg versus Sting? Just asking. I don't know. But we'll see what happens. And a part of me... Anyway... So that is my episode, ladies and gentlemen. Remember to subscribe to the Truth and Rally podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast apps in order to be made aware of a new episode. Remember, follow me on social media 
of the Truth and Reality podcast, you'll see my little decal of City Field with Macho Man in the front as, as advertised. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, have a good day and even better night.